We are in my favorite part of our show where we're talking to South Africans that are doing great things. For tonight's show, we're going to be talking to Busi Mdabane, and she's a spokesperson for a campaign that most of us have probably come to know as the Right to Know campaign. They're a group of people that are doing absolutely fantastic work, and it's an absolute pleasure to have someone from them joining us on the line this evening. Good evening, Busi. Good evening, and thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Busi, I mean, I suppose my reason for wanting us to have this discussion on the show tonight and, and for us to talk about the work you guys do is firstly because um, I've I've been partly exposed to some of the work you do just because of my proximity to to students and some of the worker protests that happened um, on campuses last year and this year as well. So I know that Right mm. to Know has been quite involved in that. But for people who have no idea what Right to Know is, can you tell us what is Right to Know, when did you guys launch and why? Okay. Um, the Right to Know campaign is a movement um, that consists of um, activists from various organizations around um, the country, or well, mostly three provinces. Um, we have offices in Cape Town. The national office is based in Cape Town. Um, we have the Western Cape office. We have an office in, G- in GP, and also we have an office in um, KZN. The campaign was started um, in 2010 um, when um, then the, the, the President Jacob Zuma um, was uh, learning on introducing um, the Protection of Information Bill. And um, a lot of activists at that time felt that um, the bill will infringe of our rights um, to access to information and also limit our freedom to expression. Um, so they actively mobilized to say, um, we don't want this bill. The bill must be um, reviewed um, and um, certain things must be changed in the bill before it is passed into the law. Um, so from there, we have grown um, from focusing on secrecy, um, information access, uh, communication rights. Um, we we dealing with um, uh, various things like um, transparency. Um, there's the issue around whistleblowers as well. So um, depending on what the political uh, direction the country is taking, we kind of find ourselves uh, um, growing bigger than we initially planned for. Mm. Like you mentioned, the issue of the student protesting. So our focus on uh, uh, during that time, it was on the right to protest. Mm. Okay. And and tell me, Busi, I mean, so how did you find your way into Right to Know? How did you situate yourself into the Right to Know campaign? For me as Busisiwe. Yes. Oh, I joined um, the campaign as um, their communications person um, in 2011, around June 2011. But initially, when the campaign was still starting, I was a journalist um, at the community radio station here in Cape Town called Bush Radio. Mm-hmm. So I used to attend a lot of the meetings at that time that were looking at how to mobilize as activists, as media people, to stop um, the what we termed now as the secrecy bill. Uh, but in terms of being actively involved in the campaign, I started in um, 2011. 
Okay, that's very, 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 very amazing. So, um, you know, if we if we just take this conversation further, I think what fascinates me the most about the Right to Know campaign is that, as you mentioned, it's ordinary activists, ordinary citizens that are really taking on the state um, and taking on, you know, even, you know, certain parts of, of uh, the private sector, taking them on in a way that we don't find... Um, that we don't typically see happening in South Africa. So, you know, a, a lot of the times when, when there's an issue to be raised, when there's a question to be asked, we tend to see that that often is maybe done by, oh, maybe one of the political opposition parties raises um, yeah. raises um, a shadow over a certain issue, and that's how it gains yeah. media traction. But what I think Right to Know has done, or at least from my observations, it seems as though you've really taken this um, at a grassroots level, and you've put some focus on issues that don't uh, necessarily make their way into the limelight. And with that, I want to quickly just talk a little bit about the Glebelands hostel case. So when mm-hmm. Tuli Madonsela did her last, um, you know, on her last day in office and she did her final report, um, you know, a lot of people on that day, everybody was listening out for the state capture report. That's all we wanted to know. We wanted to know is the state captured? Is the state not captured? You know, what are the Guptas doing? But there's a lot more that her office does. And obviously, the 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 um, findings that she made about Cleveland's hostel um, are very much to the credit of, you know, the campaign that you guys ran around around that. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that case? Yes. Um, in terms of um, Cleveland's, the committee of Cleveland's, uh most of the the people who stay in Cleveland they are part of RTK KZN uh provincial working group so they are members um and we also have um comrade um Vanessa who is an activist in 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 KZN and she's been working um very close with the comrades in Cleveland so she's kind of um the the the, the person who would bring some of the issues that are faced uh, uh, by the, the the comrades in Clemens. And most of the time, um, when it comes to what is happening or what was happening in Clemens, you find that um, the media would only focus on, 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 on the superficial information, like if there's a shooting, the the news headlines would only be about the shooting that happened, one person died, blah, 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 blah. blah. But no one is scratching um, the surface to to find exactly what is happening, um, why is there so much um, violence in Cleveland, and mm-hmm. also just engage people within uh, um, the hostel to find out what exactly is happening. Um, like since 2014 up to date, uh, I think that was in July, the last time we, we had information, of um, any death-related incident mm-hmm. in Cleveland, about 64 people uh, 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 got killed, uh, and there was about um, 13 police torture reports. Mm. But nothing would go for those kind of those are big uh, um, stories. They should have made headlines. They should make people mm. um, listen. People they they should um, push us into being angry and want to do something. But no, it's just if it's on on a Thursday newspaper on Friday, we forget about that and we move on. So the community mobilized um, um, with the assistance of um, Comrade Vanessa into inviting um, the public protector to come 
and um, for herself and see what exactly is um, happening in Cleveland. Um, and we got lucky. Um, she did um, show up um, and engage um, some of the, the locals um, in trying to find out exactly what is the issue um, and also get the other side of the story. Mm-hmm. Because um, when it comes to Cleveland, um, the, there's this whole thing around the violence that is happening. But what people don't know is that there are people who are who are being killed. The, the leadership, mm-hmm. whoever decides to stand up and speak for the the, the hostel dollars, those people are taken out. Right. So now the question is, who is behind the killing, mm-hmm. um, and what what is this person um, um, gaining out of this? Um, so the community was very grateful when. Um, Someone of uh, um, the PP's um, caliber decided that, um, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to listen to the community because they have been uh, um, trying to engage um, the government on on the various level of the the KZN uh, um, government. And also they've they've made calls to the national government, but no one responded Mm -hmm. except um, when um, the PP decided to come the community Um, well uh, before um, she left the office um, the report uh, was uh, released of um, it is quite a huge report Um, the the last time I checked the community they were planning to make copies Mm. uh, um, about 100 copies um, that they wanted to print so that um, they can sit um, one of the, the the leadership um, there is a group called Ubunye Bama Hostel, um, which is like an, an organization mm. whose mandate is to try and bring peace within um, the hostel uh, um, area. So the leadership of Ubunye and um, other leaders within the Cleveland um, community are currently looking closely um, at the report, um, and obviously they will engage hostel to hostel and um, action will be, if they are happy or not happy with um, the outcome of the report, but currently they are still busy trying to Mm. wrap their heads around um, what the PP um, found. So, and and, I mean, I think ultimately the the beautiful part around it is the fact that Part of what Right to Know aims to do is to really give a voice and to, to, to place communities that tend to be on the periphery or communities who um, go through certain difficulties that might not make it to the front page news. Those are the communities that you're putting on the national agenda and ensuring that, you know, through the public protector as one of the Chapter 9 institutions, you're able to hold them accountable. So speaking of these Chapter 9 institutions, um, something else that, you know, you guys have done, I suppose, is that so in South Africa, I think with Tuli Madonsela's time as head of public protector, ugh, as the head of the uh, public protector's office, we've um, I think we've tend to we've tended to place so much focus on the public protector's office as the, the only office or the main office through which South Africans can hold the institutions of the state accountable. And I think with you, with with right to know um, what I've observed is some of the work that has been done. Um, by engaging other Chapter 9 institutions and really broadening the conversation beyond the PP's office. So I want to, you know, bring into the conversation the Data Must Fall campaign, which again, you guys were quite instrumental um, 
in, in running and in bringing that into Parliament. Can you give us an idea of some of the work that you had to do around the Data Must Fall um, campaign? Sure. Um, well, R2K um, started a campaign that was called Vulama Connection. Um, and the aim of the campaign was to challenge um, the cost of um, communications in South Africa, focusing not only on data, but um, also on voice and um, SMSs. Mm-hmm. I remember we, we ran a campaign um, that was, like we were campaigning for free SMSs mm-hmm. that people um, they, they we should have free SMSs on on our service providers because to send an SMS um, the service providers they use the same technology that you use when you send a call back mm. so it doesn't cost them much to 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 interchange that the, the messaging so our call was that uh, well SMSs should be free because um these the companies don't really pay much to 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 uh um transmit that kind of information and a lot of people would laugh at at at, at these kind of things thinking that but this is crazy mm. how do you go around asking for free SMSs and all of that stuff but um when the the the, the data must fall hashtag data must fall campaign um, was uh, 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 launched by um, I think Tibo Touch. Um, it kind of touched on 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 one of the aspects mm-hmm. that we we were looking at um, as a right to know campaign. Mm. Um, I remember we, we we at one time we wrote to Ikasa uh, um, looking at how Ikasa can play a role. In, in, in ending the, the, the price wars in South Africa and ensuring that um, cost of communication is cut um, by these companies. Because if you look um, in, in South Africa, MTN, Vodacom, Telcom, Silsi, they've been uh, uh, um, engaging on, on, on a, an advertising war, promising lower call rates. I think uh, one company that came top of well, still see where still see it seemed like uh, uh, um, they were on board, like kind of saying, we are willing to meet you halfway. Mm. Um, I think it went, in 2014, in one of our National Day action, we actually marched to um, these service providers to say, um, you need to bring the prices down. Now we we have the issue of data, which is something that also um, affects a lot of people, where you find that, um, first of all, you, you can't afford data. It's very high. Right. But if you do manage to get that one um, gig or something, it expires. Mm. So the question was, but why does the data have to expire? And I remember um, during the presentation of the companies in Parliament, um, the guy from Vodacom, the representative of Vodacom, he was saying a lot of stuff, but he wasn't really making sense as to why does um, um, data have to expire? Why can't it carry on um, for the next month? Like if I buy uh, one gig 
and I don't use it all this month. Why can't I be able to access it mm. um, whenever I want to? Mm. He was talking about how data is not milk and, and all of that stuff. So these kind of things don't really make sense. But something else that um, R2K has been involved in, which is to look at um, bringing telecommunications into the rural communities. Right. Um, currently, we are in partnership with a, a project which was spearheaded by um, UWC called um, Zenzeleni Networks. Um, Zenzeleni is about... Um, village um, cooperation uh, whereby villages decided they're going to build their own telecommunication network that's not going to cost them an arm and a leg um, in order for them to make calls. Mm. So we're looking at uh, bringing um, these different uh, uh, models that can ensure that uh, people are able to access communications, mm. but um, the gist of the matter is that all of that must be done in a sustainable and affordable way. Right, exactly. And I mean, I, I think one of the things that the um, Data Must Fall campaign brought to light was a, a, a conversation around the right to communicate. I mean, if we were living, um, you know, maybe 50, 100 years ago, it's a different conversation about how we communicate, who gets to communicate, um, and the kinds okay. of systems that intermediate that. But in a, in a, in a highly digitized world, in a highly um, globalized world, communication you know, something that used to be slightly easier and, and, and that used to be perhaps um, cheaper has become so expensive. And so in that way, you know, poorer individuals, um, you know, are, are, are sort of just eliminated from the, the general, um, the mainstream way of communicating. And I think that that for me was one of the very interesting dimensions around this conversation about the right to communicate and obviously finding out, I didn't know this beforehand, that, you know, um, the, the poorest people in South Africa spend up to 27% of their income on communications. So, you know, all these things I think are, are extremely, um, extremely important for us to, to talk about. Busi, we're going to continue this conversation, um, in a second. And, and when we get back from the break, I want us to talk about some of the work that you guys are doing in the security and secrecy cluster of, of the country, because I think that's very interesting. And perhaps, um, you know, for our conspiracy theorist individuals, um, you know, even more interesting. But we're going to take a break and then we'll be back to continue the discussion. Um, we've been talking to Busi Mdabane and she is the spokesperson for the Right to Know campaign. Um, they're an organization that's very much involved in um, you know, campaigns around uh, freedom of expression, access to information um, in South Africa. And they've been doing some really great work. So before the break, obviously, we were talking about... Um Excuse me. Before the break, we were talking about, uh, you know, some of the work that they're doing, specifically focusing on communication and the Data Must Fall project. In continuing that conversation, Busi, um, I wanted to talk to you about some of the work that you guys are doing in terms of secrecy and the security cluster in South Africa. And the reason I, I wanted to get into that is, is because, I mean, the, the, the intelligence and, and, and uh, security cluster of our country is a bit... 
I suppose, abstract in the minds of most South Africans. It's not something that we um, are able to engage with or engage in on a, on a daily basis. Um, but there's quite a few projects that you guys are, are running around that. But specifically in the news today, I came across, um, you know, the call that you guys had made for South Africans to access the CV of the Inspector General for Intelligence. Yes. And immediately my response was, like, you guys are courageous. You are very brave to be demanding these kinds of things. What informs Right to Know's engagement um, with these uh, arms of, of government? Um, well, since um, we are the Right to Know campaign, well, it's the basic stuff that people have the right to know. Mm. Um, if you look at, um, for instance, the Office of the Inspector General, um, the office is there to serve the people, um, just like um, the, the public uh, protector's office is there to serve uh, um, South Africans. So we felt that if um, the process of um, appointing the public protector was op- was an open process, mm. um, it was very transparent, uh, transparent and also opened to public scrutiny. Why shouldn't um, the process of appointing an inspector general not be the same? Because um, the the office of the inspector general, um, um, the inspector general is a public watchdog. Mm. Um, they oversee a range of important public functions, including um, the issue of um, surveillance, um, um, which does not only affect uh, politicians, journalists uh, um, complain of being surveilled, activists complain of being um, surveilled, and even um, just ordinary civilians. Mm. Um, are, are coming forward to say my phone is bugged, mm. um, something is wrong with my my um, landline phone. We we do get such stories, so we we felt that um, if the general public doesn't have access to the CVs of the people who want to occupy this office, the process then um, it, it 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 kind of um, keeps us locked out mm. of a very crucial appointment um and um luckily um the chairperson of the joint uh, uh, um committee on 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 um intelligence mr charles nagula uh, um reply initially he said that um the the cvs are also such a nature that um, they are uh, of confidential treatment, mm. um, especially during this process, which didn't make sense. Mm. Why, why, why would they be um, confidential? Because at the end of the day, this person will be represented to um, South Africans to right. say this is your new IGI. Mm. But um, as we speak, the CVs are up on um, their website. Um, they have. Um, uh, shortlisted about 10 candidates. Mm. Uh, out of that 10, there's only one woman, um, sure. which I personally, as a as a gender activist as well, mm. have a problem with, but obviously I, I can't go um, into detail of that. But mm. the good thing is that now we know who has applied 
for this position and their CVs are up as well. So individuals can go through them and try to understand um, the kind of people that uh, want to be in these um, kind of uh, offices. Yeah, um, and, and, and I think, I mean, to add on that, I think that ultimately this is democracy in practice. What you guys are doing is democracy in practice. It's demanding that anything and everything that is enshrined in our constitution as something that belongs to the people of South Africa, the people of South Africa must have access to it. Um, And I think that you raise a very important point when you say that if the public protector's uh, appointment process is as as open and you know under as much scrutiny as we've witnessed it to be why should any other office in this country be exempt from that and and that's a very very important important uh, point to us to raise um you know moving forward i mean so when you're touching on all these different things when you're touching on secrecy when you're touching on intelligence when you're touching on communications i can only imagine that as an organization you're not necessarily um, you know, the state's favorite. And so the question I want to ask is when you guys are engaging in all these different platforms, firstly, under what legal authority or what capacity do you engage? Um, in what capacity do you guys engage and what kind of legal support are you guys receiving to look after yourselves and protect yourselves, but ultimately to further your cause? Um, the campaign itself, um, we have about um, two qualified lawyers um, that are part of our uh, our top leadership, the National Working Group. We call it the National Working Group. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of have a legal know-how. They can say, well, this is going to work. This is not going to work. But when it comes to um, taking um, legal action... For example, when we wrote to uh, Mr. Nagula asking for the CVs to be uh, 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 publicized, mm-hmm. um, we work with another uh, organization called um, the Legal Resource Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Legal Resource Center, they uh, we've got good lawyers there. Um, whenever we come up with these crazy ideas of maybe wanting to take Parliament to court <laughs> because they've got, um, they don't want us to see what's happening um, inside when there's fight and stuff like that. They mm. want the cameras to be um, turned off or something. Mm. So we do have a team of um, lawyers. Um, they assist us uh, uh, pro bono. Mm. Um, so yes, we do have those kind of people. Uh, and we do work with other organizations um, like uh, Corruption Watch, um, Saha. So if we are not uh, uh, um, too sure on a uh, on a certain issue, then we are able to consult uh, with maybe our lawyers to say, will this work if we decide okay. to take the mm. legal route? Um, like what our chances right. of this mm. uh, uh, um, going through and all of that. Yeah, and, and but in terms mm. of us as individuals, I haven't, I haven't, for me personally, I haven't um, received any threats um, as me as just Lucy. Mm. But um, some um, activists within the campaign, yes, um, they have received strange calls mm. um, 
from some weird people who say they are calling from the NIA mm. or, or stuff like that. Right. But um, nothing major to say, you know what, I'm scared or I'm skipping the, can- the country or anything mm. like that. But um, as you said earlier, this this is nothing but democracy. Mm. We we are fighting for transparency, so it's, it's all about that. Yeah. Uh, we define um, democracy as a governance uh, of the people by the people. Right. So if the people are gonna take a back seat and watch things falling apart mm. at the end of the day, we can't blame people who are messing up the country mm. if we as the voters or the, just the general public right. are quiet and not challenging these kind of issues. It, 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 it's all about us. We need to stand up and so, um, mm. defend democracy. So, Busi, tell me, I mean, of course, um, you guys aren't, aren't necessarily in everybody's good books. There must be people that um, criticize right to know and criticize the work that you do um, and maybe even try to, um, you know, put you in a, in a light that is not as positive as you'd like it to be. So, especially with groups like this that are NGOs and lobbyist groups, you know, there's always the other side of the coin where people might allege that maybe you are um, being funded by a third force or funded by individuals that are looking to direct discourse and set an agenda in, in South Africa. So, I mean, I, I want to ask you, you know, how, where do you guys get your funding, firstly? Um, and secondly, um, you know, even when you are getting your funding, how do you, how do you guys ensure that you remain, I suppose objective is not the word, because I think you, you are supposed to be subjective and biased in favor of, of the South African people. But I suppose my question is, how do you keep yourselves um, um, how do you protect yourselves from being negatively influenced by by other people's agendas and and from the main agenda that you're trying to focus on? I think um, one of the main uh, people who complain about R2K um, it's, it's, it's within the, the government itself. Where if maybe we're challenging a certain minister on 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 an issue, then the person would be like, "But who's R two K? Who funds R two K?" We've been accused of being spies. Um, that we are being funded um, by the CIA. I think R two K and a number of uh, 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 NGOs. Um, I think it was earlier this year um, where in Parliament um, that kind of information was leaked mm. That, but R2K was mentioned um, in that list um, there was a an email that was circulated in Parliament mm. um, and R2K um, made it to the list that these organizations they are spies, they are funded uh, by um, the CIA or the US government but they were linked to, to the U.S. government. Mm. But in terms of us as, as, as the organization, we receive grants um, which is administered by different um, donor organizations and foundations. Uh, but uh, that information is available on our website, mm. um, www.r2k.org.za um, and um, forward slash donors. There's a list of organizations uh, or foundations that fund us. Mm. 
Currently, there's um, seven uh, 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 funders. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Bread of the World. Um, there is um, Claude Leon Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Norwegian People's Aid. There's Open Foundation of, I mean, Open Society Foundation of South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, Privacy International uh, is also funding us. And then there's um, Race Foundation. But also we do um, get donations from um, different people around the country and um, overseas. Um, Like I know this one person who's been continuing um, donating to RCK like 30 rand a month. Oh, shame. (laughs) Every little little money does help. It goes a long way in terms of um, trying to sustain um, the organization. But... um, one of the, the highlights um, that uh, a lot of people are not aware of is that um, the organization itself, some of the top leadership within the organization, they are volunteers. They don't get paid mm. um, to do what they do. For instance, our provincial coordinators, they are volunteers. They don't get any uh, 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 funding, mm. uh, I mean, or any salary for doing the work that they do. And also our national working group, which is voted um, at the, like, during the, the, the first month or the first few months of, of the year, um, we have a national summit. Mm. And we vote uh, people from different movements okay. to serve into the top leadership. So those are volunteers. But in terms of making sure that... Um, you see, I'm so sorry to, to do this. I'm going yeah. to have to cut you off. I'm so sorry to do this. We have run out of time for tonight's interview. But thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about the amazing work that you guys are doing. That was Busim Tabane, the spokesperson for Right to Know.